Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're talking through a hard-fought loss as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 279. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell about the Eagles and their week six loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, there's a lot of good and plenty of bad to talk through on both sides of the ball, as there often is uh, on any game, much less a loss. So Greg and I will do all of that in Chalk Talk. Before we get to that discussion, though, just a quick reminder, if you have not lately, please jump onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, I promise that we will answer it here on the show. If not here on this episode, the early in the week with Greg, then for sure later each season, or later each week rather, uh, on our episodes with Ben Fennell, where we always dive in deeper into the Eagles' upcoming matchup. By the way, if you are a fan of the NFL Draft, or if you're starting to kind of you know get that inkling that you want to start looking ahead, see who the top players are in next spring's draft, you can always catch Ben and I every single week, twice a week, over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, where again, we're twice a week, just like we are right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. All right, enough of that. Let's dive into our chat now with Greg Cosell in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, joining me once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, welcome back to the show, sir. Fran, good to be with you. Obviously, uh, uh, another tough loss here for the Eagles. And, um, you know, it's been a couple in a row now against two tough teams where we've seen some good, saw some bad. I said it earlier at the top of the show. And I I thought we saw offensively it was kind of a tale of two halves because that first half was about uh, as ugly as as it can get offensively um, up until the latter stages of the second quarter when they were able to generate a couple first downs and kind of get things going. Before we get into the game and some takeaways – We'll start the way we always start, and that's talking about the quarterback. Interested to kind of get your thoughts uh, on Carson Wentz and his performance in this game. You know, I thought it was a really gutsy performance. I mean, if you're just being realistic, you have to say that, you know, right now, due to injury, the Eagles do not have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, He was clearly under duress all game. Uh, The offensive line against a really, really good defense clearly struggled. and. You know, Wentz just had to hang in there and just keep playing. So I wouldn't say it was pretty, but I thought it was really gutsy and competitive. And when you do put up 28 points against the Ravens defense, you'd have to say when all said and done that that's a a pretty good performance because that Raven defense is a really tough assignment. I mean, he so like we talk about, I think it was the, the most he's ever been hit in a game. I'm pretty sure it was like 16 hits, if I remember right, and that's the most he's ever been hit. Uh, yep. He was sacked, I believe, six times. W- those weren't like, oh, like, you know, it was a, a two-hand touch. He kind of got hit on the shoulder pads. He took some violent shots no in this game. And with what he was able to do throughout with some of the throws he delivered, and not only that, but like overcoming the adversity of just – really just brutal drops, you know, the, the one to Hightower, the one to Sanders in the end zone, like some really tough drops as well. But for him to overcome that, fight through it, 
And then you see like the 40-yard run in the fourth quarter. You see him hanging in the pocket and making plays. You see him, uh, the second reaction play on the touchdown to Jason Kroon. Like, just one of the best individual performances from Wentz uh, from a like uh, from that toughness and you know that competitiveness standpoint really the, the, in his career you know when you consider all the context involved in my opinion and I think you can say that Fred in all honesty about the last two weeks because they played two arguably the two best defenses in the league maybe statistically they are I don't know I don't have the numbers right in front of me you know you would you might know I think that on, a, on a points per game basis I'm pretty sure Baltimore and Pittsburgh are one and two right now so I mean they scored 57 points and they were all offensive points uh and there were no really short drives as I recall in either one of those games oh. so so when you think of it that way Again, and, and we're not looking to place blame on anybody, but when you score 29 and 28 points against those two defenses, you feel you're in a pretty good position to win those two games. So, you know, and again, it has to be said, and, and the Eagles know this, the entire league knows this, the offensive line is clearly a weakness right now and against two defenses that really can exploit that weakness. They do it in different ways, but they can exploit that weakness. and. And it was a really gutsy competitive performance by Wentz. I mean, the fourth down touchdown to uh, to Fulgham. People can say what they want. Oh, he just threw it up. But I believe that was cover zero. It was, yep. And, and cover zero, you often throw it up as a quarterback to give your receiver a chance. Yeah, and you put it in play in the back of the end zone to let right. his guy go and get it. Uh, you know, to me, yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. And you talk about the offensive line. I mean, they, they come into this game, obviously no Lane Johnson. Uh, so Jack Driscoll, the rookie, starts at right tackle. He leaves in the, in the fourth quarter. Brett Toth comes in, who they just signed off waivers last week. At right okay. guard, you've got, I believe, the, the fourth right guard of the season, Jamon Brown, who, I mean, I, and obviously not a good performance, right? No, yeah, we're not saying anything bad by right. saying that he had a really difficult time. A very, very difficult day. Uh, you know, obviously, and then you've got a first-year starter in Nate Herbig at left guard. Mylotta making his third start ever playing the sport at left tackle. Uh, and then you've got Jason Kelsey at center, who's the, you know, he's the other anchor there with Carson Wentz you finished the game with no Miles Sanders he left midway through the game you finished the game no Zach Ertz obviously no Dallas Goddard no Jalen Rager no Deshaun Jackson no Alshon Jeffrey uh you know the list goes on and on and on with what Carson was able to do um truly uh, just a courageous effort and uh, well you, know, you, had, like, you didn't even mention the fact that Driscoll got hurt and and Toth who I also don't believe has ever played a regular season snap is that correct uh, I believe that to be correct, yes. I know he played in a preseason, but I do not believe he's ever taken a regular season snap. So, of course, what does a good defense do? On the second snap, they challenge him with a slot corner blitz. He sees it late, Humphrey Sacks wins. Yep. You know, later in the fourth quarter, they challenge both Toth and Brown with a TE stun. That was the the interception that was overturned. But uh, Bowser, the looper, got in clean, and he he laid into Wentz on that throw. So, I mean, you know, like you said, it was just one of many clean shots he took that were – that were not just little love taps. That were real shots. No, I, I felt like every single one of those hits. I mean, even early, just every single one was just a, a brutal, violent hit, um, you know, on Carson. And he kept getting right back up and fighting through it. When you talk about the issues along the offensive line, that impacts not just pass protection, obviously, but also the run game. And it just another another week where they're really struggling to get things going consistently. They yeah. had the lo- the one long run. But after that, it was just it's just tough sledding for that group up front. They have not been able to generate consistent movement uh, to be able to give run, those running backs any room to work. No, because essentially, 
you know, Sanders, his numbers are great because of some long runs, but just like a week ago, he had the long touchdown run and this week, the long run that, you know, ended up being a touchdown on the fumble. But besides those two runs, they've generated nothing in the run game against either Pittsburgh or Baltimore. Yeah, and that, and those runs obviously count, but when you're talking about overall of the run game being effective, uh, it, it just has not been the case over the course of the last couple of weeks. And, and I don't think that that helps Sanders either, uh, just because again we've said this throughout Miles throughout his career is that you know there are times where approaching line of scrimmage he'll kind of chatter his feet, he's not always as decisive, kind of making no. his way through. Um, so when there is those issues and in the inconsistencies in the offensive line in the run game, that kind of you know feeds into that into the you know and that gives him more problems so um you know they're gonna have to continue to try and fix that hopefully with reinforcements coming back you know with lane johnson potentially being on the way back isaac sayamalu being uh you know on the way back soon uh that that can kind of help things but uh look that they're they're gonna have to still get a couple of those positions uh figured out to get things going there uh in the run game let's real quickly talk about the pass catchers um you know we obviously saw a lot of travis fulgham again in the second half in particular uh was not as huge a factor in the first half. Uh, but John Hightower, I thought it was good to see him kind of bounce back after that early drop, which was a, a beautiful throw from Carson Wentz, you know, right in the breadbasket. It goes right through his hands. Good to see Hightower bounce back and make that play down the field late in the third quarter as well. Yeah, I, I don't know how you felt, but I was well, I saw that live. And, and when I saw it live, it was one of those plays that happened in slow motion. You know, yeah. you, you see the ball up there and you see him open and it took about 20 seconds for the ball to come down. And you're thinking, oh, man, there, you know, this this might even be a touchdown, you know, and then he drops it. But no. That, and that was the first series. And that was third and long, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Third and long. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was a killer because, you know, this was the kind of game where you knew that any chance you had, you had to take advantage of. You couldn't leave any plays on the field. So let me ask you this, Greg, because they go into this game uh, on Thursday night with as reports are and obviously nothing official yet but reports are no miles sanders reports are no zach Ertz. you know status up in the air with the receivers we talked about obviously you know no the return of dallas goddard in sight we'll have to wait and see uh we're recording this monday 6 45 so we don't know uh jalen rager's status either so going into knowing this i mean uh, i want to bring this conversation to jalen hurts like do you think that there, we'll see more Jalen Hurts on, on Thursday night uh, just because they need, they need to find way? Well, we said this weeks ago when, you know, the, a couple of the receivers got hurt and Goddard got hurt. But now, like, I, <laughs> playmakers just keep dropping. Like, uh, I feel like we might have to start seeing more Jalen Hurts with him on the field uh, alongside Carson Wentz just because they have to find ways to, to manufacture offense. The run game really was only very effective when Hurts was on the field and you had that element added into the offense. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that. I mean, I don't disagree with what you're saying, and I think you're going to see that. But I think you have to be a little careful about that. Um, we'll see, but I think it will happen. I, I really believe it will just because they basically do not have playmakers. I mean, uh, I guess if you're a fantasy guy, Jason Crew might be your guy on Thursday night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that, that, But that's the thing. It's like if you're talking about trying to get your best guys on the field, uh, what are the things that work for you? The, the offense – I think the, was it the first five drives or the first six drives? It was all three and outs with negative drive or with yep. negative yardage and the fumble on the first play of a drive. Like they could not get anything going. Um, you know, and I feel like the spark was all right. Let's we'll get Jalen Hurts in there and you run a couple option plays, and that kind of got the offense moving and the things started working from there. No, we had the twenty yard run, and then they had a couple of other plays which really didn't gain any yards, but they looked exciting. So. But you're right. I think I would not be surprised if Jalen Hurts plays 15 to 20 snaps Thursday night. 
Yeah, I mean, I think coming into this game, it was 12 snaps and six of them went for first downs. I think coming out of it, it's 18 snaps and half of them went for first downs and touchdowns. Like, you know, for all for all the things involved, like I, there's, the, it's tough to argue with that that level of efficiency. And obviously, it's, it is a small sample size, but with a team that's you know, personnel wise, with all the injuries, they're almost grasping at straws. They're going to have to find ways to be able. To no, move I mean, again, it's. I believe it will happen. And you can make the argument that it's max of desperation, but they're probably in desperation mode because they don't have players. But I was joking about, I was not joking about Jason Kroon. I, he played in Buffalo and I watched him there and he's actually a very athletic tight end. He went to college as a wide receiver. Hmm. Uh, I imagine he's going to get snaps on Thursday night. Certainly if Zach Gertz is not playing, Jason Kroon is going to get snaps. And he's actually got athleticism and speed. So I'm not sitting here telling you he's going to go eight for 130. But he's an intriguing player. Uh, And again, I don't know how much of the offense he knows at this point. It's a different offense than where he's been. So, uh, but he does have athleticism and speed. And Hakeem Butler, uh, the Eagles have as their third tight end right now as well. Um, yeah, you know, he's been what, here for two, three weeks now. A couple of weeks now. So what were your thoughts on Hakeem Butler? Obviously, he was a receiver at Iowa State, but a big kid. Uh, that and I liked him a lot, as you know, Brandon. Yeah. I, you know, I thought he was a wide receiver. And I, you know, again, I don't know what happened in Arizona. I certainly don't know the kid, but I thought that he was a legitimate wideout coming to the NFL. So mm. I can't tell you what happened. Um, I know he's being talked about and was signed theoretically as a tight end, but I think he certainly can be a flexed player. Uh, real quick, we talked about the offensive line. I didn't ask you about Jordan Mailata before we moved to the defense. Uh, what were your thoughts on Jordan Mailata in his third start? You know, I think he's doing okay. I mean, you know, I don't think he's the problem. Um, I, I didn't think he was the problem in this game. Uh, so I think he's doing okay. You know, I I don't study him on every play. You probably do. Um, what are your thoughts? I'll tell you what, Greg. The, the, just real quick before, because this obviously isn't in, impactful in terms of his overall performance in the game. I don't know if you noticed this, but on the uh, the fumble in the first half by Carson Wentz in the zone read, uh, Jordan Mailata. Oh my goodness! <laughs> we watched that. We watched that on repeat a number of times just to just to be impressed with like the physical marvel that he is. Yeah, I, I will say this. I think that he's still working through the fact that the kinds of movements that you need to pass protect are not natural athletic movements. Right. You know, he's a great athlete, but the the movements you need to pass protect are not natural athletic movements. But I don't think he's been a problem. Yeah, we, we've said numerous times that he's never looked out of place. I will say no, here, no. here are my two big takeaways from this game. Any questions that anybody had about his toughness and like, oh, like, is he like a glass eater up front? I think you throw that out in this game because I think there were numerous times, even though the offensive line has struggled to move the ball in the run game, I thought that he showed some not not only power because he's got that, but also the ability to finish. He he put like three or four guys on the ground in this game, and I, and I thought that was a really good sign for him and his future moving forward. And then the other thing is just what I've just mentioned, that raw power. I mean, there were, there were a number of snaps where you, you look at that, that final two-point play, uh, which I, I guess I'll ask you that too before we go to the defensive side. Uh, the final two-point play um, – the movement he gets at the point of attack, you just see like on double teams oh, yeah. and just right where, I mean, he, he's a big, strong, powerful guy. Just getting you know, in well, the trenches. What he does is really impressive. I would say it this way. I would like to see him play out the rest of the season, a left tackle. Yeah. I know Jason Peters is going to be healthy and come back at some point. 
I would like to see Jordan Mailata play left tackle for the rest mm. of the season. Mm. Yeah, I think the the other big thing, too, that we should talk about offensively uh, before we move over to the defense was uh, the final play, the two-point play. There's been a lot of discussion in the city and, you know, with right. the fans and stuff, you know, about the play. Look, it was very clear, and Doug Peterson talked about this today, that, uh, you know, they, they, they need to get the play in faster. They're clearly it, – it just – it was an ugly look of the play on the field, and, you know, there's – Obviously, it's a, it looked like it was going to be a zone read. Uh, there were two defenders there in the backfield. You had LJ Fort and you had um, you, and you had Matt Judon there in the backfield. Typically, if it's a zone read, you're not going to have two defenders free. So whether there was a miscommunication on who was going to block who, or if it was a miscommunication on like, oh, you know, someone's got to uh, run this route, or this is going to be a pass play, or going to check out of it. Clearly, just not everybody firing on all cylinders uh, mentally on that play. Yeah, I guess what struck me as interesting was we knew that that Rodgers went across the formation in motion. Um, and, you know, you and I actually discussed this earlier. Uh, I'm not sure exactly at that point what was supposed to happen. So I can't speak to whether there was a mistake or not a mistake. The result of the play makes it easy to say that it was not a great call. I'm not going to go there because I don't know exactly what happened there. And then, you know, the coaches do, and they're not going to state it publicly because they're just not. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm sure on Sports Talk Radio, which, you know, I'm obviously working in my office, so I'm not listening to Sports Talk Radio, but I'm sure there's been a lot of talk about it, but I, I just don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's tough for us on the outside to be able to say uh, with certainty exactly who was responsible for what on that play. I would just say, um, you know, you mentioned like we, we saw Rodgers come in motion from right to left. My guess is if, if he understands that it's a zone read, he's not re- in motion there to release out into a route unless it's some kind of an RPO, which right. that's what I mean. Like there's a, there's so many things uh, in play here that we don't know. And with that kind of play, it can go ugly fast. So uh, clearly uh, the play, there's just a lot of miscommunication there uh, on that play. Um, but the decision to go for, I think there's also been a lot of con- uh, conversation about going for two. If the, Look, the, the Eagles went two for four on two-point conversion plays in the game. And they were in position to tie it at the end if they had hit on that third one, which shows why you go for two, like why they went for two. Really? There's been a lot of talk about going for two there? Not going for two there, but going for two like, uh, you know, oh, well, if they, they wouldn't have had to do it if they didn't go oh, for two oh, in the oh. first one. Yeah, and yeah. to me, like, uh, no, like that, that was the whole point was uh, you're not in the position to tie that game if you hadn't made the two on the first two. It's, yeah, to me, the, the whole two-point conversion play, um, obviously the, the, the numbers show that that was, the, the, you know, they're making those smart decisions when they're playing from behind in those kind of scenarios. Uh, let's go over to the defensive side, Greg. And obviously, look, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson, we talked about the, the creativity of that run game and, and how tall of a task it was. And, and he got his in the run game. He ran for over 100 yards. He had the long one, uh, you know, where he just looked I mean, so, so explosive uh, on that play. And you know, the, everything that goes into that, uh, the Eagles had some issues there uh, from that side of it. To me, uh, one of the things I took away I was actually pretty impressed with, I thought they did a good job of kind of bottling him up as a scrambler when he dropped back to throw. Uh, we continued to see some of the issues that he's had uh, throwing the football. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts overall on what the major takeaway was for you uh, on the defensive side of the ball in this game. Well, a couple of takeaways, and we can work through them, you know, relatively quickly, but all the different personnel packages. I actually, watching the tape, I said, oh, I kind of like what Jim Schwartz is doing here. A lot of different personnel packages. Uh, so I thought that was really good because you're trying to find a way to to match up to an offense that is uh, a different offense than any that you will see in the league. Um, 
much like what the Bengals did the week er a week earlier. And I know you watched that tape. The Bengals basically said to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense, you, we're going to dare you to throw the ball. You know, they played a 4-3 stack with their safeties really low in what looked like a cover four look, but the safeties were really low. They were daring Lamar Jackson to throw the ball, and they didn't throw it well. The Eagles did that a little differently. They had McLeod play pretty low in their cover three, almost like that three robber that we've seen from the Eagles, and they were daring Jackson and the Ravens to go over the top, and they didn't. Uh, from the Ravens' perspective, this is something that they're going to need to address going forward. But overall, I thought that the Eagles did a pretty good job. They did an excellent job in the run game overall, I thought, because the three Ravens backs had 28 for 74. That's pretty good work. Um, the Jackson, you know, touchdown run was, you know, that's what Jackson. That's what happens. Well, yeah, exactly right. Yep. And actually, the guard, the center Skura missed his block on Graham, but the play still worked because of the impact of the backfield action on, on Singleton and, and Nate Gary. But, um, you know, so, hey, that's Lamar Jackson. He's the most explosive athlete at quarterback in the game. Um, but I actually thought that the defense, I know the points were there, but I thought the defense overall was not bad. The, 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 the thing really, honestly, early on was that, I mean, they get by allowing three third and long conversions in the first yes. half. You know, they, they couldn't get the off the field in those three times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that gives them that gives them two touchdowns right there. And if you yeah. get off the field in those scenarios, now you're talking those are field goals instead of touchdowns. It's, it's, it's a different game. But, you, know, you say that all – we can say that every week, but it's a, it's a whole different outcome. Um, yeah, it changes the, 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 the way that the, the entire scope of that game. No, and we saw, you know, a lot of guys get snaps. You know, Singleton played almost every snap. Bradley was in, you know, because of, of one of the packages, you know, we, we saw what they did there. Um, you know, he played in, uh, in the base defense because of how much the fullback plays. So, so Sean Bradley was the Mike linebacker with Gary and Singleton, the outside backers. What'd you think? What'd you think of Bradley? I thought he played pretty well. You know, it's funny. I really liked his college tape. But I thought he was just not quite athletic enough to be, you know, the kind of guy you say, hey, he's definitely a starting Mike linebacker. But I thought that he had really good play recognition, a good feel for working through traffic. I just didn't think that he was quite athletic enough. And I guess time will tell. Right. Uh, what did you think of his college tape? Yeah, I I liked his college tape. I, I think when you looked at his aggressiveness and his, I mean, there, he made especially what stood out to me too about him was that in their uh, games against Power Five schools, you know, you look at Maryland, Georgia Tech, um, you look at them just over the course of the last couple of years, their biggest games. I thought he always kind of rose to the occasion and it had some of his best games. So that that was one thing that always then, stood out to me about him. Then two more points. I thought Singleton played well. I, I yes. like what I've seen from Singleton. I, you could make the argument he's their best linebacker right now. I thought this was his best game, too. I thought when you saw yep. him just, you know, he's always been really decisive getting downhill in the run oh, game. Oh, for but sure. Yeah, that's one of his best traits. And then yeah. he, defe he defeated some blocks with quickness yes. as well in this game, too. He played 90% of the snaps, Fran. Yeah, uh, I thought and, he did it. I thought he and did then we saw nice Davion time. Taylor get in, you know, versus 22 personnel. I, I didn't get a great feel for him in the 10 or 11 snaps he played. But he obviously was his first game active, I believe. And, you know, he played, uh, you know, 10, 11 snaps. Yeah, there were, and it, I don't remember it being – I was actually planning after we're done here, I'm actually going to go back and watch just those plays because um, I'm going to post a couple of them on, uh, on, on Twitter. I, there are a couple of them that are just from memory – 
you kind of saw the speed in the open field. It was actually on the. Oh, there was one where you saw him run down. Was it? It was Lamar. It was, Lamar. It was, it was the game ceiling play, the twenty-one yeah. yarder that ended the game. Yes, exactly. You saw yeah. the, and that was. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a play that's in their playbook. It's a, you know, there's just the naked keeper, and he just goes out the back door. Uh, but you just kind of saw the speed there from from Taylor yeah. in the open field for sure. Um, yeah. No. So I um. Uh, so no, I thought they did some some really good things. I thought McLeod again stood out in this game, yep. especially playing downhill in the run game. He's had a good year. He's yeah. had a good year so far. I would agree with you. He stands oh. out on tape. Were you surprised they did not match Slay up to Brown? A little bit. You know, and, and I think Roby, we didn't mention the fact that Roby was the outside corner in this game and Mills was back playing safety. Yeah. So to me, though, here's the way I look at that. Knowing that they're going into a short week this week, Avante Maddox did practice on a limited basis last week. I, I wonder if they kind of thought, look, we're getting Will Parks back. Let's get into our safety rotation the way that we plan to moving forward with both Mills and Parks working together, more big nickel, more dime, um, you know, with, uh, with both Parks and Mills on the field as safeties. And then, uh, you know, that now next week on the short week of prep, Avante just plugs in at right corner and we're not trying to make these kind of adjustments and get everybody used to doing it. Short uh, week, that, could short be, week. that might be, that could be it. That's a great point. But, uh, but I think parts will end up being really important to this defense. Yeah, and I thought, you know, in this game, we saw him play, but obviously plenty because, uh, you know, because of the way that uh, Baltimore lines up from a personnel standpoint with uh, their heavy personnel, their base personnel. But he's going to be a big factor in terms of, you know, how often they're playing in base defense with three linebackers on the field. I think you'll see more of the big nickel with him, and you'll see more uh, certainly of heavy dime with him on the field. And I think that that's certainly an upgrade I agree. for the Eagles. Um, I agree. No, so it's good to be able to get him back. It was good to see him uh, back on the field. I don't think there was anything else. Def- I guess defensive line-wise, I thought Josh Sweat had a good game. Honestly, a lot of the linemen really st- – I thought Fletcher Cox was really good in this game. Brandon Graham, Malik Jackson was really active. Josh Sweat had a couple of really nice flash plays. Derek Barnett was really physical and violent. I thought the defensive line overall, I thought, looked pretty good in this game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I think that it, it was a weird game in the sense that the Ravens obviously put up points, but I don't feel like the Ravens did a lot consistently. They they obviously that first drive did set a bit of a tone because they did convert those third downs. That was the tough part. Yep, those ended up being obviously critical. Um, but uh, you know, I thought the Eagles did a nice job in the second half. They played a lot of one robber on third and long, yep. which is a good coverage against Lamar because McLeod is basically sitting there as kind of a robber spy. So I thought that's a good coverage against Lamar Jackson. And I think they did that um, uh, three Most times on long yeah. in, the, yep. in the second half. Yep. Yeah, I, I think to me that this was uh, – and honestly, wasn't it – this is what we've seen from Baltimore this year, right, where the offense, you just don't get the feel like they're operating on all cylinders yet. And, you know, the defense oh, – the defense didn't really get crushed – but at the end of the game, they, you know, they put up 25 points, 28 points, 30 points, yep. and they win the game. Like That's kind of been Baltimore this year. Um, unfortunately, the Eagles on the opposite end of that uh, in this matchup. So, uh, Greg, with that being said, uh, let's close the book on week six. Let's move over to week seven and look at this Eagles-Giants game on Thursday night. Obviously, a short turnaround here. Um, give us a, a, an elevator speech. Look, they're missing Saquon Barkley offensively, right? And obviously, he's their blue-chip player. Uh, they haven't had a ton of other injuries, I don't think, on the offensive side of the football um, as I kind of open up my notes on those guys. No, I mean, yeah, they're, uh, Sterling, Sterling Shepard's on injury reserve as well, and that's certainly a, a, certainly a loss. They lost Nate Solder uh, to an opt-out in the summer. Um, but outside of that, uh, this is an offense that is they, – they've struggled. You know, throwing the ball, running the football. Um, I think that Daniel Jones has shown some flashes – 
uh, he's just, you know, he's under constant duress from this offensive line. Uh, the pass catchers just aren't quite up to snuff yet. The run game has not been able to get going no. without Saquon. So uh, it's, been, it's been tough for them offensively. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's been difficult. Look, Jones is an easy guy to blame because they're the O-line. See, I, I think they thought their O-line would be better. Um, and again, not that it would be a top five O-line in the league, but I think they thought they'd plug Andrew Thomas right in a left tackle. He's been up and down. Um, I think given who they have across the O-line, they did think it would be a better group, but they've not been able to generate any consistency running the ball. Obviously, Barkley's not there. Um, and in pass protection's been tough. And Daniel Jones is, he's a guy that I think it's in his DNA to stand and, and, yeah. and, and you know, deliver the football even under duress. But at some point, that's hard to do. And and no matter what a quarterback, you know, what his DNA is, I think you start to just anticipate and perceive pressure. I mean, look at the interception he threw this week against the Washington football team in the end zone to Fuller, where, you know, he's trying to make a throw and there's pressure and, you know, you just make a throw, an ill-advised throw. But if he has time, he can look good throwing the football without question. Mm. Uh, to me – Talking about their run game, their best version of their run game is with Daniel Jones on zone reads, man. I mean, that's where they've had, uh, honestly, the most success. Um, you know, Devontae Freeman, they brought in a couple weeks ago. He has struggled to really kind of get going. Um, he's never been like a blue chip physical talent. Obviously, a lot of uh, what we've always liked about Devontae Freeman was, you know, his decisiveness, his instincts, his ability to kind of make that first man miss. He's not an explosive athlete. He's not a powerful guy, um, but just his, uh, you know, ability to make that first man miss and be decisive, that's just been tough. Uh, with the the play of this offensive line so far, um, you know, so he has uh, his kind of struggled. Uh, but Jones, a very athletic player. I mean, this is a guy when he does take off, he's got the ability to hurt you on the ground. Um, I know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he had a long one this week. Uh, he did, he's he had. Did. He's yeah. He's had a couple yeah. long ones uh, well, over and, the course of the season. And in some ways, just like you talked about Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, I think they might have to try to rely on that a little more just to try to create some opportunities for their offense. Yeah. Uh, and then looking at their offensive line, uh, the rookie top five pick, Andrew Thomas, has been at left tackle every week except for this week. Uh, he did uh, get benched this week due to, uh, and I think it was a broken rule off the field. That's they what said they said, was, yes. Yeah, they said it was not performance-based. He has not played particularly well. No, he's not. Um, yeah, it seemed like early on that he was getting beat a lot high side, you know, with with speed rushes, and I feel like he started then to counter that with oversetting, and then it was getting beat on the inside move. So it's just been kind of – it's been – you know, kind of a welcome to the NFL start of the season here for Andrew Thomas, which has been tough for the Giants because you look around the league and you see the way Becton has played when healthy. You look at Jadrick Wills, you look at Tristan Wirfs, all those other tackles have all found success early on. Uh, he has been the lone guy who has struggled for that position. And, and as we talked about leading up to the draft, there are a lot of people who felt that he was just sort of a model of consistency and would step right in and maybe not be an all-pro Hall of Famer, but be able to play right from day one and be really solid. Yep. And he just very, very inconsistent. And you hit on a really good point. You know, I think he struggled with the edge. And then the last thing you want is to be, get beat off the edge. So what do you do? You just open the gate. You know, you, I mean, you don't open the gate. You try to close the gate way too yeah. fast. Right. And and that causes other problems. Yeah, he's opening he's open the other gate. That's the problem. He's the other gate, the exactly. He's over the other the inside gate. Um, you know, and then Will Hernandez. I think we kind of know what Will Hernandez is at this point. Um, you know, he's a big, powerful kid. But, uh, you know, they, 
you know, he's, he's a little bit limited physically. And then you have Nick Gates, who I think is a first or second year starter um, out of Nebraska. He was an athletic kid, a little bit undersized. Well, I believe he was a tackle in Nebraska because I remember doing yep. it. Yes, I believe so. And then Kevin Zeitler is a solid player at right guard. He's fine. And then uh, Cameron Fleming has kind of been a, a journeyman. Uh, he's kind of right. bounced around a couple different teams. He played for both Jason Garrett in Dallas as well as Joe Judge in New England. So he had connections there, came in and became the starter at right tackle. Uh, it's just a line that has not played particularly well. Uh, interesting to get your thoughts just in case that suspension holds up for another week. I'm not sure if it's not or it is it or won. not. I don't think uh, it will. Uh, I was going to say, did you, did you get any kind of feel for Matt Pert, who was the third-round pick uh, out of UConn? He started in place of Andrew Thomas at left tackle. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I kind of like Matt. Uh, I think it's Pyard, isn't it? Is um, it? Okay. I think so, but I could be wrong. But I kind of – he was a, an intriguing guy to watch coming out of Connecticut. Did you look at him? I did. Oh, yeah. He's an athletic kid. Really athletic. Really big kid, long arms. Um, you know, I thought he had – you know, in some ways, obviously, he's played a lot more football than Jordan Mailata. He was a 40-year starter. Oh, no, no question. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, but I think that he's he's a guy that he's going to have some good snaps and some not-so-good snaps. But I think he has a chance to be a good player. You know, again, people get caught up in, is he a right tackle or a left tackle? I am so far beyond that conversation in today's NFL. Yep. I don't even think that's a conversation anymore, no. personally. I know people will probably disagree with me. That's fine. I, I'm, you know. I don't I don't go there anymore just because right. the nature of defense is now. Um, but I, I think he has a chance to be a good player. I I would really – I think they envision Thomas and Pyard being their tackles going mm-hmm. forward. It's just a matter of who plays left and who plays right in their mind. Yep. You know, who's – and not because of one guy has left tackle traits or right tackle traits. Just where are they more comfortable? Yeah, and Thomas had played both, you know, at Georgia. He was a left tackle no last year, but he played right yeah. tackle the year before. Um, let's quickly go to the pass catchers. The the guy is Darius Slayton, right? I mean, in terms yeah. of uh, he's got all three of their touchdowns uh, through the air. I will say, that, I mean, he's got forty one targets through the first six games. Evan Ingram only has or has thirty eight. I mean, only three less. So he is a highly targeted player, but in terms of usage. Slayton is, a, is obviously the big play threat. They haven't really leveraged Ingram vertically. I mean, a lot of his routes, uh, slants, yep. sticks, shallows. I mean, it's all kind of short stuff, quick game, Jason Witten-style stuff uh, with Evan Ingram. But uh, certainly Darius Slayton is the big play threat. And that surprises me about Ingram because I yeah. think one of the reasons you draft him and given what his traits are, I mean, I remember – ran 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, I mean, he's I was a receiver. He ran a 4-4 four, four at the combine. You were there. <laughs> I was there. You know, that, that's what was so impressive about him. Um, so I'm, you know, maybe they feel that it's, it's a pass protection issue, but, but there's no question that Slayton is the guy that you have to be most concerned about vertically, because the last thing you want to do, you know, you want to have to make this giant offense have to go 12, 13 plays to score, you know, and the Eagles, obviously look this week, they played a ton more zone than, than they have for obvious reasons. Lamar Jackson, Hmm. they've been playing a lot of man. I wonder if they'll play stay with more zone because you want to make the giants have to execute snap after snap after snap. And also you're going to feel as if your D line is clearly the dominant unit versus the giants O line. So why give Slayton an opportunity to run by your corners? Now Slay did not match up to Hollywood Brown last week. Does Slay match up to Darius Slayton? You would think so, but you know, I was surprised he didn't match up to Hollywood Brown. But the last thing you want, and I like Slay a lot, but even, you know, even Slay can be burned over the top. That's the last thing you want to have happen in this game. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's how they've been getting their points. This is a team that's averaging less than 17 a game. Uh, and as I said, he's got their three pass catching, their, their three receiving touchdowns. So, uh, you know, keep him a lockdown and you should have success uh, in this game. And that's kind of seems to kind of be a recipe for success uh, against this outfit. You know, the only other real pass catcher I would say you put on uh, in terms of proven NFL success right now, um, you know, because they brought in Austin, Austin Mack. They promoted him from the practice squad last week. I know he had a, a solid camp out of Ohio state undrafted free agent, but uh, after that, it's CJ board at the receiver position. Yeah. Uh, the other guy is, is golden Tate. Now that, you know, well, yeah, board got hurt. I think this week. He yeah, got, I think that's right. Yeah. I think it was a short off. Year. That's right. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. um, you know, I think you're looking at uh, obviously slate and you look at golden tape and, you know, mostly from the slot uh, as well as at Z, but, you know, shallows, uh, you know, slant routes, option routes, some double moves in the inside, but he, he's working in the slot in the intermediate area. Yeah. So, you know, it's just not a very good offense. I mean, again, an NFL game, you never know what's going to happen. And you certainly don't want to go in here saying, oh, the you know, Eagles are just going to dominate. But this is an offense right now when you look at it on tape, you just there's not a lot to hang your hat on, which is why you cannot get beat by the big play. So, you know, it's an NFL offense. They'll make yep. a few plays, but you cannot give up long touchdowns. You just cannot. They've shown no – look, they had not scored a touchdown, what, in four weeks, something like that? Yeah, something like that, yep. Yeah, I mean, you can, You have to make them go 12, 13 plays to score a touchdown. You right. have to make them do that. So let's get over to the defensive side. And, and this is a, a defense that's coached by Patrick Graham, who was uh, a Bill Belichick disciple, worked with Joe Judge in New England. He was the defensive coordinator for Brian Flores last year in Miami. So uh, the Eagles have faced a Graham defense uh, in the you know, most recent past. Uh, you know, the, the basic outline, ton of man coverage. Um, they will disguise some things, but a ton of man coverage. And you're going to get some diversity in terms of their fronts and their looks and things of that nature. But uh, on the back end, going to be a ton of man. Is there, well, is there any other big takeaways there? They've not played as much man as I think they play man. And, and two man is something they play a lot of, but they've actually played a lot more zone in recent weeks. Hmm. So I'm going to be curious, you know, what their plan is here. Um, you know, they, they, they play a ton of sub. Um, yeah, it's a ton of sub package. Yep. A ton of sub packages. And, you know, um, They've got some players on the back end. You know, Bradbury's a good pro. Logan Ryan can line up and do a lot of different things for you, as can Jabril Peppers. So um, Love, who is a college corner, is basically their post-safety. Right, yep. So, um, no, I think they're, in some ways, they're, you know, both Joe Judge and Patrick Graham, the D.C., do come from the Bill Belichick school. So what you're going to see a lot of, Fran, I think, is multiple front looks with some coverage consistency. You know, you're not you're not going to get, you know, a ton of crazy coverage looks, uh, although they had a real interesting deal last week on a Bradbury interception where they clearly showed man by how they lined up with uh, corners over, and then they played zone, and Bradbury got an interception. So, you know, they will do that on occasion. Mm. But uh, mostly – you're going to get more of the multiplicity comes from what they do with their fronts. Right. Exactly. I mean, and when you look at it, that's if you're talking about who are the, who are like the, the best players on this defense to me, like I'd go number 97. I'm going to go Dexter Lawrence. I mean, that guy has the ability to be uh, a real disruptor on the inside. He's not a, uh, you know, quick, this isn't Aaron Donald in terms of play style. This is a big, physical hulking nose tackle that can really wreck things inside. And that has been the kind of player that has given Jason Kelsey trouble over the course of his career. That's a great point. And I remember 
They played the Niners a few weeks ago, and even though the Niners won that game, Dexter Lawrence was dominant against that 49er O-line, just absolutely dominant. Yeah. And he's a concern in this game. Uh, and, you know, Leonard Williams has sort of had had some flashes this year. He had a sack last week. Yeah. He's kind of – I think he's got three. He's kind of been forgotten because he was a high pick, I think the fifth pick in a draft, and people expected him to be a big sack guy, and it certainly didn't work out with the Jets. Um, but I think he's had some some positive snaps this year. Hmm. Yeah, to me, that that is the strength. When you look at it, where is, what's the group that is the most well put together? You look at that three man front. Uh, you know, you have Dalvin Tomlinson a nose tackle, Dexter Lawrence and Letter and Williams on either side of them. Uh, they bring in B.J. Hill and R.J. McIntosh off the bench. Austin Johnson is there, the former uh, Penn State star, former yeah. first round pick for Tennessee. That's, that's, they got some depth there. Yeah, they do. Uh, and that's where that's that group. And then you look off the edge. Um, you know, Lorenzo Carter is kind of he didn't play this week, but uh, this is an athletic kid who's kind of, you know, you can get after it a little bit because of his explosiveness. Uh, Marcus Golden, they brought back late in the, the preseason to yeah. uh, kind of get, you know, get him back. He was their leading sack guy a year ago. They brought in Kyler Fackrell in free agency, who's kind of been a do everything guy, kind of a utility player throughout the course of his career. But with how they're playing, uh, he's used often on different stunts and he can, you know, with a, on a defense like this, he can be a he's not this guy but he can be like a Kyle Van Noy type of player right yeah and I think they probably see him that way yeah and he played every snap this past week I mean he's he's clearly one of their most important players yeah and Blake Martinez is their three down linebacker another signing from uh from Green Bay uh you mentioned James Bradbury he's their he's their top corner uh how how have they been using him in your mind in terms of like you know matching people not that I I don't know if they're going to match him up to anybody but how have they been using him over the course of the season almost hard to figure because yeah I'm looking at the Giants schedule because a couple of weeks ago oh he matched up to Allen Robinson traveled with him did not match up to to McLaurin so I mean I don't know what their thought process is. Mm. You know, my guess is he won't match up to anybody on the Eagles, but who knows? I mean, I don't think Fulgham is a guy you're going to say, even though he's almost turned into the Eagles' number one receiver in two weeks. I was going to say, speak for yourself, Greg. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I don't know. But, I mean, sometimes they've matched him up and other times they haven't. So I don't know what their thought process is. You know, when all the coaches at 11 o'clock at night are drinking their scotch and putting their game plans together, I don't know how they see that on a week-to-week basis. Are you uh, are you like up at night like drinking scotch like as you're watching film? No, no, that's, that's not the go to. And by the way, when it gets to be eleven o'clock, I'm asleep. I mean, when you get to some teams, like I got to think like the scotch is going to be a, that's like a necessity, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Giants. Who yeah, right, exactly yeah. right. Well, Greg, uh, look, it's a, it's an NFC East matchup. This is going to be pivotal. This is huge for the Eagles because while this stretch of this past three games, you know, was tough, and we knew that going in. This next three with the Giants twice and the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, that, this is season-defining right now, right? I, I think this game is really important, not just because they have to win. That's not my point. But given that the points they put up against the two best defenses in the NFL, I'm not saying they should put up 45 against the Giants. You know, that's not my point. But there has to be – the offense, to me, has to look good this week. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be some – and I know they're missing players, like you There's said. a lot Miles of players. Is out. You know, I don't know. Just is Corey Clement the, the the number one back? Yeah, I mean that's. A good I would question. think so. That's a good question. I, don't think, I mean, I think you're going to have to run the ball, and I don't know if Boston Scott's getting you know 15 or 18 carries. He was he was the guy. I remember that game on Monday Night Football. It was a Monday Night last year. Uh, he was he was a big fixture in that game. Yeah, against so those two teams. I I think the offense has to have some kind of feel of continuity. Their O line has to be able to to play better. You know, I think they need to 
to score within the context of the game, you know, not feel like, hey, we're all of a sudden late in the third quarter and we're in a 7-3 game. Right. No, it's a, it's going to be a big matchup, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. Next week, we'll be back Monday. I know the game is playing Thursday. We'll be back Monday night uh, to break it all down. Greg, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. All right, Fran, thanks. Before we keep going with this episode, it is really important to me that I talk about voting. Now, uh, depending on when you're listening to this episode, we are just two weeks away from Election Day. And that deadline to register to vote has very likely passed in your state. Last week here on the show, I talked about mail-in voting and why it's both perfectly safe and perfectly legal to fill out a mail-in ballot. So this week, I wanted to talk about the importance of voting. There's been a lot of discussion about how important the 2020 election is. Why is that? Not only is it a presidential election where we will figure out a new president, a new vice president, but voters will also choose 11 governors, 35 U.S. senators, 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives, as well as hundreds of state and local officials. That's just from an individual candidate standpoint. But then you start thinking about what you're voting for. What are the issues that are important to you? When you're voting at the national level, you're making your opinion heard on issues like national security, global policy, international commerce, taxes, medicine and food safety standards, the postal service, the list goes on and on. Then you go down to the state level. That's where you're voting on issues like public education, auto insurance, highway maintenance, environmental protection at both the state on state land and then even things like fishing and hunt, hunting licenses. Then you get down to the local level, and that's where things like school lunches, uh, local judges, police, recreation programs for kids, uh, housing and zoning, public transportation, public services. Not all of these issues are going to be important to every single one of you listening at home, but some of them are, right? And at every low le- level of government, there are things that either impact your day-to-day life, uh, they may align with your views on society, or impact the bottom line for you at the end of the day or at the end of the tax season, right? So remember, Remember, 100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election four years ago. Please do what you can to help lower that number. It is all of our civic duty to make sure that we get out and all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Well, great stuff this week from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to someone who left a rating and left a comment, and that's DNOGS58, who left a five-star review on Apple podcast saying appreciate this podcast so much question Eagles have essentially been a 500 team since 2017. It seems that they cannot find an identity as to who they are. Why do you think that is? I watch other NFL teams who are consistently good. Why not the birds in year five of the Carson Wentz era? So to me, and it's a good question. I think that it's, it's multi-prongs, right? And I think the big thing, and it's just been a resounding theme with this team over the last couple of years, even in the Super Bowl year, was injuries, right? And I think when whenever you have injuries, you are going to, especially the amount of injuries that the Eagles have had, and a lot of teams are dealing with that this year just because of the, the unique offseason. When you have a lot of injuries, you have to change your identity almost on a, on a weekly basis, especially when you're having them to the volume that the Eagles have had them this year. You can, If you just are going to plug away trying to do the same thing over and over and over again despite drastic changes in personnel – 
well, it's very likely not going to work. So I think when you're looking at the injuries that the Eagles have had, just look at this year. When you change all those pieces along the offensive line, when you've got receivers going in and out, you lose a key piece like a Dallas Goddard. Your running back is in and out of the lineup. I think that's going to affect how you operate both in the run game and in the pass game. Then you get to the next section of it, and that's when you have the change in offensive staffs. And I think when you are when you have that change of the guard there, uh, and remember, this is kind of the, uh, what is it, the second or third different iteration of the offensive staff, um, you know, since the Super Bowl, that's going to kind of change things, right? And when you bring in different people and when other people leave, that's going to change week-to-week game planning. It's going to change, obviously, the, the play sheet on, a, on for Doug Peterson when he's calling plays, right? Because he's only going to be calling plays with the menu that's kind of given to him from his position coaches, whoever's in charge of third down and red zone, first and second down, run game, pass game, all those different situations. So I think when you look uh, at the, the injuries and the change in coaching staff, I, I, that's certainly going to lead um, you know, to differences on what the team looks like on a pretty consistent basis. And then the other big thing, too, and this shouldn't be discounted because I think when you look around the NFL, this is how it goes with quarterbacks, is as Carson Wentz gets older and more established and you know a bigger part of not just uh, the, the locker room, but also in developing the game plan, this is the case with every single franchise quarterback. Those guys are going to have more input, and that's the way it should be, is that you want you want to run plays that your quarterback feels comfortable with. So as Cor- Carson Wentz becomes more and more acclimated to the league, he's going to have things that he likes, and he's going to want them put uh, into the game plan as well. So when you're talking about all these different moving factors, uh, injuries being a big part of it, and I would say probably the primary thing, that's why I, I kind of brought that up first, I think that's why you haven't seen necessarily a, consist, a level of consistency in terms of how this team offensively tries to attack uh, opposing defenses. And I think you look at the same thing on the defensive side. When you have changes in scheme and change, you know, changes in personnel, that's going to change ultimately how, you, how you're going to try and attack opposing offenses. Obviously, there's been a little bit more continuity on the defensive side, both personnel-wise and coaching-wise. So I think that's why you've kind of seen less change there um, from a schematic standpoint. But uh, to your question, I think that that's why. I think those are really the big things as to why we've kind of seen uh, you know the, the question that you're bringing up. So uh, special thanks uh, to Greg Cosell this week. Great question uh, from you, D-Nogs. Special thanks to all of you guys out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings here at Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week.